Would you agree that context is really important for any conversation, right? I mean, if you walk in midstream of any conversation, context is pretty important lest you totally misunderstand what's going on, right? And that can be true in conversations. It can also be true when it comes to God's word. Context is really important. And uh, with that said, and as we enter into studying a book of the Bible that so often is misinterpreted, misunderstood, it gets back to context. What's the context? I want to back up with you and start with verse 1 of Revelation, not Revelations, but Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, that's you and me, and take to heart, that's you and me, what is written in it. Because the time is near. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. And what is it that God is inviting us to take to heart? The fact that this is a revelation from Jesus. And it's given to John. Now we find out, as he keeps saying, John. Who's John? What John? What, who are we talking about here? Um, and it's, it happens to be John the Apostle. John who is there, the brother of James. The sons of Zebedee that Jesus called uh, early on in his earthly ministry as disciples to follow him. The same John who wrote in his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, The same one who said that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, The same John that records the woman at the well and talks about the the streams of living water that that well up and one who believes in this, this word of God and this one named Jesus. The same one who wrote that resurrection account that Pastor Steve just read of Thomas being there and and, and doubting and Jesus showing him his hands, his feet. Uh, The one who who then says and writes this, these things were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and so that by, by believing in them, you would have life in his name. It's the same John. The same John who writes the epistles of verse 2nd, etc., John, and, and is also the one who is given this opportunity to have this revelation, a vision, as it were, of the book of Revelation. Context is important here, and there's more context that's needed beyond that. Um, we find out later even where it's written and where this vision happens. We, we read this um, where John is when he hears about it. Uh, we find out he's on the island of Patmos. Uh, he's in exile, and, and, and this is important to understand, too. Uh, he is, you might say, on the run as an exile or a refugee. The reason is, is because this revelation comes at a time when there is severe persecution happening over the church. Um, history tells us that uh, there were several periods of very, very intense persecution on the early church. One of those periods happens um, in the early 60s AD under uh, a guy by the name of Nero who was uh, a ruler of Rome and uh, a very, very nasty guy. Um, And I'll get into that in a second. 
Another period of intense persecution that many believe was the context of when this was written is um, in the early 90s AD uh, under another ruler of Rome by the name of Domitian. And, and, and both Nero and Domitian, um, nasty, nasty guys in terms of what they sought to do in order to shut down the early church. I'll give you some examples of this. Um, Nero was known to skin Christians alive. Um, I probably just messed up any chance of eating breakfast today, okay? But this is real, okay? Um, if that weren't enough, one of his other torture techniques that he used for Christians that were captured is he had actually constructed a very large frying pan, life-size, human-size. And not only would he skin people alive, which actually wouldn't kill them, he then put them on this frying pan that had a fire raging underneath it and watched them till they danced until they died, fried alive. Um, that's very disturbing, isn't it? And, and, and this is the extremes that were, were being put against those who would call on the name of Jesus. Severe torture, severe persecution, homes and property was being confiscated of those who called on the name of Jesus. This was commonplace. And John is in exile. And he's on the island of Patmos, writing then, sharing this revelation of the words of Jesus. And if you have a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red, Revelation has a lot of red, um, the words of Jesus, because he shows up and speaks through this revelation again and again. And, and you say, okay, well, that's great. There's a little context for me, but what does it mean? <laughs> There's a lot of wacky stuff in Revelation. What are we to make of all of that? And I, not to disappoint you. But we're not going to get into all of it in five weeks. In, in just, you know, 12, 15, 17 minute message. Uh, it's a Bible class kind of thing that could happen over the course of several years. There's a lot in Revelation. But sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. One of the most important things when we study Scripture is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Rather than saying, I think it maybe means this, or to me it means this. No, one of the most important things when we study God's Word is if there's something that doesn't make sense, first ask the question, is there anywhere else in Scripture that illuminates what this might mean? Here's an example. We read it in the Revelation, whatever verse that was, just a few moments ago, where it, it gives this, this picture of, of Jesus that sounds very different than what you maybe have thought of him to look like, and, and a detail of which is that coming out of his mouth is a double-edged sword. That does not sound very comforting, does it? And, and that image of Jesus being welcoming, like if he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, that doesn't sound very good. What can that possibly mean? Well, if we let Scripture enlighten, enlighten us on this, I think of a text like Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's verse 18, where it says that the Word of God is like a double-edged sword, um, penetrating to the soul, separating soul and spirit, and, and, and that it, it cuts to the heart, and, and that nothing escapes the word of God, that it, it judges the motives and the act, active, it's living and active, and you say, oh, the sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus, it's the word of God, the powerful word of God. There's an example of that. We say, oh, what's going on? No, what's the scripture say? And sometimes it's not as weird as we think. If we just realize this is a very special revelation given to John in a very specific context. Now today what I want to dwell on a little bit is what's the context 
But what's the context for us as well? Because again and again, this phrase shows up. We heard it early on, and, and I'll read it to you again. And John says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Before his throne, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and who has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And a little bit later, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Did you catch that phrase? It showed up twice. The one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. In context for us, you might say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Usually when we talk about time, we think of the past, present, and future, right? Generally so. Um, Even that verse that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, or even our sermon series, who was, is, and is to come. That's the way we say that. It's in time, sequential order, was, is, is to come. And yet, why might it be significant that John has given a revelation of God saying who he is? He doesn't say who I was, but rather he starts by saying a God who is, a God who was, and a God who is to come. Got to put it in context again, right? Have you ever been to a funeral? I hear this all the time, go to the funeral home or you're at the funeral and in context, it is very easy to say these words and I hear it said all the time, he was a really great dad. She was an amazing mother. He had so much to look forward to. He was, she was. And we talk in the past tense. And that is often the case at funerals is we think about what could have been, what isn't, or what wasn't as a result of their life ending. What about God's life? And specifically, a revelation about Jesus. When we're talking about Jesus, and you're a disciple, you're one of the hundreds of people who saw him die, and you're one of the hundreds of people that then saw him alive. But before that, where were they? As we've dwelt on the last several weeks, he was on his way to the cross. He went the way of the cross. He suffered and he died. He put him in a grave. And they thought, game over. There is no hope. Hope has died for us. It is all about what was. What was. And yet, what changes all that? Easter changes that. It's not about what was anymore. It's about what is. The one who is the resurrection and the life. The one who says, those who believe in me, though they die, they live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's a present reality, is. And John writes that revelation, a God who is, but also a God who was, one who goes the way of the cross, but a God who is and a God who is to come. And put that in context for us today. As people who so often are so focused on the rearview mirror. And, and there's a reason in cars 
the rearview mirror is relatively pretty small in context of your driving experience. Am I right? Because if the rearview mirror is too large and all you can see is the back and what's gone or what's behind you, you're going to crash, aren't you? <laughs> There's a reason that rearview mirror is small. What's in your past today? You know, I think of a, a young lady going on spring break. A lot of people are leaving town this week to go places, and maybe you're one of them. And uh, remember a young lady in her freshman year in college, maybe you've heard this story. She, she was all excited. She was on her own, you know, freshman in college. Chance to go on spring break with her friends, and, and she is planning to party and have a lot of fun and do a lot of things that might even be illegal. And, and she's there having a time of her life. She meets a guy, and he's really nice, and he's really good looking, and, and uh, she parties with him, and she's like, what an amazing time, right? And, and just as she's saying goodbye, this guy hands her a note, says, don't open this till you get on the plane. Had a really great week with you, and, and uh, have, have a great flight. And, and she says, okay, and hugs him goodbye, and, and gets on the plane, and can't wait. She opens the note and, and says, what an amazing week we've had. But I also want to alert you to the fact that I need to welcome you to the word, uh, the world of being HIV positive. Have a great life. And the reality of what she had done. You know, our past can a lot of times play a lot on our present and our future. And maybe today, that question of what's in your past and how big that rearview mirror is and, and how it continues to haunt your present of what you did or decisions you made or ways that you hurt people or ways you know that you hurt your future. And it continues day by day, just keeps dredging up what I did and, and it, it, it reflects on your life reality today. Think about context, though, that a God comes among us and he says, I'm a God who was. I was there in the midst of it. I knew what you did. I know how you failed me. I know how you messed up. But the was is also the fact that I went to the cross for you. My sacrifice on that cross, the blood I shed was your blood. It was for you because I love you. A God who says your past is your past. But the reality of God's past actually changes our present because he's a God who has overcome sin. He's a God who has overcome death. A God who has, has overcome guilt and shame. And a God has resurrected one who comes among his people and says, I'm a God who is. What's the context of your present today? Maybe your present is filled with worry and anxiety and concern. Maybe your present is just filled with who's going to be the next president of the United States? God help us, right? Maybe that's where you're at these days. Or when is it, it going to happen that there's going to be a terrorist attack right here, maybe near in my neighborhood? Or how are we ever going to make it through this? And you turn on the news and you realize that persecution, what I just described, it still goes on. In fact, more people have died for their faith in the last hundred years now than all previous centuries put together. And the torture continues, whether it be beheading of children and families in the name of Jesus, whether it be marking their homes uh, with an N standing for Nazarene in Arabic, 
as marking them as one who call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, where often those homes are burned down, often those families are put to death for their faith in Christ. Whether it be a bombing in a place like Assyria or, um, or uh, Pakistan last Easter Sunday, uh, primarily made up of Christian families who are celebrating Easter together. You know, we live in these days, and it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said in this world, you will face trouble. It will happen. Persecution has been part of the story of the church. It is part of our present. But context is important once again. Because our context, our reality, is made up of a God who is here among us. The one who says, you will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That the one who is in you is greater in the world than those who are, the one who is in them. The one who says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. A God who gives us a present context that's not based on circumstances or what we see, but on the one who is with us, who was, who is, but also the one who is to come. I love that promise throughout his word. Now that, that the God who, Jesus, who calls his disciples together, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says, trust in God, trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And, and Thomas, the same one who wants, I got to see his hands and feet. Like, how do we know, Lord, where you're going? We don't have a clue. Tell us. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus gives us the future context. He gives us a present context, and he reminds us that the past context is dealt with today. We are his, and he is a God of hope that comes among his people, one who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Do not be afraid. I'm a God who is, a God who was, and a God who is to come. Our God and our calling as children of God. In Jesus. Let's pray today. Lord, we thank you for your revelation. That revelation, Jesus, that is about you. Your word that comes among us. And a, a savior who understands context so very well. The context that would lead you to go the way of a cross. And deal with sin and rebellion and brokenness once and for all. It would cost you your life. But Jesus, the context of death is not what held you back. Rather, you conquered the grave. And that new reality, the new context for us, is a God who not was, but a God who is. And a God who will be and is to come. Lord, that is our reality. That is our new context. And it's a context of hope and promise and joy and peace. And Lord, we pray that you, through the eyes of faith, would open our hearts to see it to live it, to celebrate it, no matter what comes in the days ahead, by your power and your glory, that at the day when you come back in glory, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And so we confess that truth today as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.